When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Welcome to Dive Cuts. My name is Levi Hootmacher, and I am the one uh, you never hear, but always rely on to bring you these episodes. So many of you know that we've been working on testing out live streaming our podcasts, and you might have also seen we've run into some issues with this, which was totally expected on our end as we are trying to figure this whole thing out. Well, we finally got the live streaming to come through with this uh, recent episode of Dive Cuts. However, there was a slight echo issue in the beginning, so that's why you're hearing me. Sam kicked off this episode by asking Matt how his weekend went. After that, Matt will continue breaking down the NCAA tournament seating and head on into recapping the Alabama game. After this, Sam's mic is all fixed and the podcast is up and running. So without further ado, Matt, how was your weekend? Uh, I, I actually tuned out as soon as I possibly could. Uh, you know, if it wasn't Missouri, I, I think I was probably more eager to bounce around and, and sort of get to every other game there's... You know, I think the one thing that we do is we spend a lot of time during the regular season focused on the SEC and focused on kind of the race that plays out there. And, you know, I think once Missouri was eliminated on Saturday, it was also, you know, a day when a lot of other conference tournaments are getting decided. So I kind of checked out and just kind of channel surfed around uh, for the next, you know, 18 hours that basketball is on and just tried to catch things um, and just try and know i think take in the totality of the weekend um so yeah <laughs> apologies to alabama and texas a and i skipped you yesterday in favor of watching ivy final and watching princeton qualify in princeton's uh in the pod so 
maybe some scouting there. Maybe some scouting. Missouri was 27th in the seed list, which is just one or two spots over. So either, to your point, maybe they were already there. You know, as the week kind of unfolded, there were some losses before Missouri played on Friday um, at the Big Ten tournament in the ACC that may have knocked some teams down the S-curve. Um, Matt Watkins will probably know better than I. He was running the data the entire time. But, you know, you can also make the alternative argument that the win on Friday was really, really important, that it bumped them those one or two spots they needed to get off the 8-9 line um, and really get out of maybe, you know, having to be in the firing line of a number one or, you know, there have been some that have kind of slotted them into maybe having to go play a team like Houston. So you avoid that and you get rewarded with a seven seed and a chance to play Arizona, which we'll talk about whether that's a good matchup for this team or not. But importantly, you know, it was a quad 1A win when they needed it and probably got them somewhere into the seven line, uh, which we saw on Sunday. Uh, thoughts on Alabama? Uh, Alabama, in a lot of ways, similar to the first time these two teams met, um, you know, Missouri got the shooting performance that they needed Alabama for most of that game. But it felt like Alabama was just sort of biding its time until they got shots to start dropping. Um, I thought they were really, really good. You know, about five or six minutes of kind of just saying, okay, we're, we're not going to get our tempo. We're not going to get our normal sort of early clock stuff. And then they just started grinding it. And I thought, you know, for as much as we talk about Alabama being a team that needs tempo, that needs pace, they were really good about getting into stuff, getting into the half court, overloading it, and you know, really getting into situations where they could just drive and lob. They got guys that they sent to the glass. They were opportunistic in transition. So I thought, you know, for as much as we sort of want to, you know, pigeonhole Alabama, they did a really nice job pivoting. And in this game, you know, the shot chart kind of told the story here around the rim. Missouri could not finish from point blank range. Alabama's size had a lot to do with that. Um, to me. You know, we talked about it a little bit after the game. The diversity of Alabama's bigs was really, really important. Um, you know, they have a guy that they can just stick at the top of the restricted area in Charles Bidiaco and just, you know, turn guys away. Noah Clowney, I, I think, has been impressive all year, but he was impressive in this game. He can, you know, be a weak side rim protector. He can get into situations where he's got to sit down, Kobe Brown, and stay in his hip pocket and contest. And, you know, if they had to take Bediaco off the floor when Modiar is not playing, they can slide Clowney back into that rim protector role. And then they can just put Noah Gurley on the floor and just, you know, say bow up and make it really hard for Noah and Kobe to post. And so it just got to a point where I thought Missouri really had to work hard for those looks. They, you know, were not able to convert. And I think you saw some legs go about midway through the second half. Jumper started to get a little bit shorter. You know, you weren't quite seeing the kind of finishing ability even off two feet you normally do. So Bama bided its time it sat down it guarded it relied on its length and then you know it got a little run a little run going and that was all she wrote for about the last 10 minutes so Missouri hung in there but you know I think Bama's depth and it's sort of over you know a little bit of a talent edge obviously you know gave it the win so it it, it unfolded in a way that I think you know was not too terribly surprising but you know I, I think you know there was a hope maybe that Missouri could you know, ride a little momentum into into Saturday it just didn't transpire the one thing too I would say that you know if you're looking for a distinction if you watch how Tennessee guards and how Bama guards Tennessee's much more aggressive you know they're a little bit more heavier or assertive in terms of on ball pressure they switch a bit more Alabama's going to play more pack line they're going to gap things they're going to you know make you have to play in in you know through their bodies through their length and if you get there, there's somebody waiting at the rim. I, I think Missouri's ability 
in the Tennessee game was they were able to pull guys like Uros Plavstich and Olivia Nakamwa into space a little bit. And you saw Noah Carter really, you know, at times excelling by playing those guys into space, especially if it was an empty side, an empty corner side drive. They were able to play off the bounce a little bit, get Tennessee in rotation and play off kicks. Bama's just going to sit back and, and, you know, kind of clog it up and muck it up. And they're just going to rely on that land to sort of, you know, create problems for you. So it was, it, you know, it's personnel, but it's also a little bit of scheme too that I think, you know, comes into play there. All right. So I think I figured out what it is. Um, it, so we're using, like, you don't have to share. We can just keep going. We can just keep going. Well, right. Like this is a, this, this is a, a very big, uh, experiment for, for everybody involved. Um, you know, me especially. Uh, so we're using video.ninja uh, to, to basically set up our, our little control room. And I just had to mute myself there. Uh, as long as Matt can still hear me and you guys can still hear me, then great. Uh, so moving on, um, Alabama captures the SEC tournament title. Uh, they look like the best team in the country once again. Um, the uh, NCAA tournament... Uh, broadcast comes on at five o'clock and Missouri didn't have to wait very long to hear their names called. Um, and nor do they have to wait very long to play once the tournament starts. So they, they're the seven seed and the, in the Southern or the South region, um, they play at 1240, which is the third game, uh, on that Thursday to tip off. Do you know it's 1040 out there? It's 1040 local time. No out time zones work, Sam. Is that is that how time? Ten forty. So California is ten forty in the morning. Yeah, it's like the old days. Yeah, apparently. Football. Like you just get up and and you know grab some pancakes and and go play basketball. These guys have these guys have played the eight a.m. sesh. They've done it. They've done it. <laughs> hey, like that. There's a there's a lot to be said for you know the experience of of AU. Like I do think that you know there is valid criticism. Uh, with you know when you play so many games they, the, the sort of the value of each possession is sort of lost and the value of each you know game and win and all that sort of stuff is is lost um you know but you know you you do learn to get up and play you do learn that you know whatever the circumstances are you got to go play and i think when you're in a tournament uh environment like that's definitely something um, that is going to be helpful for for Missouri, and, and hopefully it's uh, it's something that they they you know handle okay. First round opponent Utah State. Matthew, what do we know about Utah State? Well, they love to shoot it, uh, and they're they're the nation's best three point shooting team. Um, if you don't get a chance to them or like go look up highlights, you're going to be in for a treat. They they are a fun team. They are going to play fast. They're going to play four and five out. They're going to hunt jumpers. Uh, you know, if you've watched Bama play, there are some concepts that Bama uses that, frankly, Ryan Odom has has borrowed because he has an entire series in his playbook called Buffalo. So he's he's borrowed from Nate Oates a little bit there. Um, but they're a fun team. They come out of the Mountain West, uh, played a kind of an underrated non-conference schedule, didn't play like any name programs, but... A lot of really, really solid programs. Um, you know, I think you would know that they played Utah Valley and Oral Roberts. Uh, Utah Valley won the regular season WAC title, Oral Roberts. Uh, everyone seems to know them. They'll probably be a trendy pick in the Duke 5-12 game. 
Uh, played two really good teams in Santa Clara and Loyola Marymount, which are top 100 level teams out of the West Coast Conference. Uh, took out Wazoo on a neutral floor, and they had a little bit of a rough patch in January in the Mountain West, but uh, played for a conference title on Saturday. They are a short bench team, but, uh, man, the guys they do have can can absolutely fill it up and stroke it from long distance. So it's it's going to be a fun team. They run modern stuff, and, you know, stylistically, th- this might be one game that you're just going to have a lot of neutrals click over to uh, on the afternoon of Thursday. It, could, it has the potential to be a, a barn burner. Uh, to watch play out. Yeah, that, I think that was like my main takeaway is uh, they're going to do a lot of the things that um, are going to challenge you defensively. Missouri, you know, I, I I really think that Missouri was always going to be sort of like a flawed team defensively. I think we we sort of prepared ourselves for, for that situation. Um, it turns out that that you know all those fears were realized when the season started, and and they just weren't great defensively. Uh, the good news was is they were, you know, far better offensively than I think we expected. Um, so I do think that Utah State presents, um, you know, some challenges. M- Mizzou has a tendency to lose shooters. Um, all these guys can shoot. Uh, but it, it is one of those things where there's enough sort of uh, holes in Utah State where you sort of think this is, I mean, this is a game even though Utah State is favored. And I understand why they're favored. Um, they've, you know, outside of a couple games, they've been really consistent. They've been really good. Um, but this is a game I I expect Missouri mm-hmm. to win. And the reason I expect them to win is because I think that uh even if you have extra time to prepare, like facing the Tigers is still a very complicated uh, team to prepare for, and and how you stop them, um, you know, especially when they have more than one guy kind of getting things going, and uh, and they seem to be playing really well right now. They seem to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, that chip seems to be a little bit bigger, um, you know, with. Uh, everyone kind of talking about the lack of respect, and I think they're probably going to bring up the fact that they're not even favored in the game despite being a higher-seeded team. Uh, and I think all those things kind of factor in, and I just think they're they're, they're going to be able to spread out Utah State uh, and and probably get to the rim pretty easily. And, and if they can convert rim opportunities and hit a reasonable number of threes, I think this is a game that Missouri can maintain relative control over. The linchpin here, I think, is going to come in the front court. Um, Utah State has size, but I wouldn't describe it as kind of the size that you know we would think of in a traditional way. Taylor Funk is basically is basically a fourth guard uh, for them. They you know have Dan Aiken who comes off the bench, uh, but he's a little bit lighter. Uh, kind of reminds me of a Damari Carroll, kind of a, in in terms of his play style. Uh, they have one traditionalist big in Tevin Dorius, but the thing is. Teams like Boise State or San Diego State that have a little bit more traditional post players or guys that can play more on the block have really given them trouble. You know, they, they have, you know, I would say this is a team that plays position defense more so than, you know, they're going to run guys off the spot. That plays well for Noah Carter, and it plays well for Kobe Brown to play through the post. You know, typically Utah State doesn't run two guys at the post, so, you know, if it's solo coverage and it's Kobe Brown on, you know, Taylor Funker on 
Danik, and I, I think those are matchups you're going to want. Missouri's offense hunts those. And if you do send two at Kobe, they can play out of it. Um, Missouri can also, I think, you know, exploit this team a little bit in early clock. So it's it's going to be one where I think Missouri's size is going to be, you know, I think more functional for what they want to do. The other thing to keep in mind here, too, is if Missouri scores, it can set a token press and then really keep Utah State from getting into its stuff quickly. That's what teams have done that have really taken out of rhythm. They make shots, they set the press, and they force Utah State to come down and face you once you've loaded up to them. So for Missouri, you know, I think, you know, we've talked about, you know, how early on in the season it was just go, 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 and then they began to kind of throttle and be a little bit more opportunistic. I think it's going to be beneficial for them to do that, to try and, you know, at times back the throttle down and make um, Utah State run offense and make them sort of face Missouri when they're set. So that'll be something I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on too. What is the uh, the biggest thing that concerns you about this matchup? You know, both of these teams are teams that, you know, can get on the wrong side of stuff quickly. If you don't, you know, when Utah State has lost games, it's when they've even gotten good looks and they just don't drop. The same thing goes for Missouri. That even if Missouri is running good action, even if it's getting shots that, you know, we would consider high value, they're just not dropping. Um, Utah State will absolutely feast on long rebounds. They'll get out, they'll push. Their guys fill lanes and they attack. And they just become a perpetual motion machine when they do that. And they can, you know, 10-12-0 scoring jags pretty quick. And so you're going to get into a situation where Missouri's, you know, a team that we've seen, if they fall behind pretty early, sometimes it takes, you know, they can come back, but other times they can get a little bit sandbagged. So I think that's the thing you worry about is jumpers lead to runouts. Utah State starts to find its rhythm, and Missouri just isn't enough. Even if they're controlling possession counts, they just can't make enough shots to kind of offset what's happening. So I think that's what I worry about. Um, defensively, you have to be aware that Utah State's going to, they are fantastic moving off the ball. Their guards get in the paint, they get jump stops, and all of them can make quick reads and find somebody moving off the ball. If you help off, they're going to find a shooter, even if your rotation's on point. So this team sometimes, I think, has a tendency to overhelp. They help off at the wrong times. They'll get punished for that. So those are the two things I worry about. Are they going to trigger some, you know, transition chances for Utah State? And are they going to, you know, fall down off the ball a little bit defensively? So those are the two things that I think get to me. But I, but are those your concerns or what, what worries you about this matchup? Yeah, I mean, I think that's – I think we talk enough <laughs> offline um, or really, off, you know, still online, but, you know, not, not in public um, – that I think that articulates a lot of the things. Uh, you know, it's one thing to kind of come back uh, and beat a team like LSU uh, or Georgia. It's another thing entirely uh, to come back on a team that has rightfully earned uh, an at-large berth in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, so if if you if you do get down, uh, you know, early and uh, you know, let's say a few threes are falling for Utah State and they're not falling for Missouri. Uh, are they going to be able to, you know, generate enough points to at least kind of stay within that striking distance to where they can kind of use, you know, the, uh, you know, a, a run that we're kind of used to seeing them, you know, hit here and there. Uh, you know, I think Evan Mee always has the, the kill shot stat. Missouri is always one of the, uh, the you know, leaders yeah. in the country for a team that, that can kind of hit that 10-point run. Um, you know, but those are also a lot harder to kind of come by when you're talking about, you know, good teams, um, you know, specifically like a team like Utah State. Uh, 
you know, that's probably my biggest worry is is that, you know, that Missouri just kind of shows up, shots aren't going in early, and they get, you know, down. And, you know, because of their, uh, you know, their their defense not being all that great in the half court, Utah is able to kind of pace themselves out and, and keep scoring at a clip that keeps Missouri at an arm's length. Um, I don't think this is necessarily a game that the yeah, Aggies can beat the Tigers by, you know, 15 or 20 points. Um, I think that Missouri is is too good even around the rim that they would they would be able to find points and, and keep it close. Yeah. Um for me the key is is like you always worry how your how your team is gonna shoot and and if 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 Mizzou comes out and hits around forty percent, I think they win the game. If they shoot higher than forty percent, I think they're yeah. probably gonna win easier than maybe we would expect. Um, if that number drops to like below 30, yeah, I'd, I have a hard time imagining that they're going to win. I just think like that, that level of shooting allows them to space the floor, allows, you know, Noah and, and Kobe, um, you know, the ability to operate around the room, you know, and even like, you know, Dree Golston, uh, his ability to, to sort of operate yeah. in that, you know, mid to low post as a guard is, is important when you, when you have shooters around. Um, so I think like that's probably yeah. the area that, I would be looking at. Um, the one thing I would worry about here is, you know, or if I were Utah State too, is you have a little bit of a short bench. You know, they're, I think, number 330 or 335 nationally in bench minutes. Um, they don't go very deep in the backcourt either. Um, if they get a couple fouls on guys, namely like an Ashworth or a Shulga, who are their primary ball handlers, then I think they could be in some trouble there. They can, they can roll some bigs through a little bit, and they can kind of change their lineups a little bit based on their big personnel, but they're going to ride Ashworth, Shulga, and Bearstow for like 30 to 35 minutes a night if, you know, if this... And those guys are used to going at full pace, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the depth, you know, situation looks like there. Missouri's also a little bit short right now, but it should get Trey Gamillion back. You know, it would be great. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how likely it is that they could get a certain Columbia native back as well in the rotation, if not to score, but just so a guy like Mosley could eat some minutes and, and kind of distribute that out a little bit. But I think that's something that's going to be interesting to see too. It's just, you know, how deep, you know, each team can go here and sort of what that does stylistically to each side. So I think that's one other thing to, to keep in mind here too. Well, and uh, we got a question here that uh, would you agree that uh, Mizzou has proven that they are less reliant on the three ball lately as the season has progressed. I think so. I think, you know, the one thing that I mentioned over the weekend that I thought was really nice was that you see Demoy Hodge and Noah Carter attacking closeouts more, you know, and being a little bit more willing to put the ball down on the deck. You see them willing to cut more. Um, I think that that's been nice, you know, just for the sake of diversity for the offense, you know, it, you know, and it forces the defense to rotate in the middle of play out of that. Um, I think the three-point shots they are taking are quality three-point shots. I think they're getting stuff that's in the flow of the offense that they really want. You know, they're getting stuff, you know, out of some spread pick and moles. You know, Kobe's doing a job hitting out of hard doubles. But I, I think they've done a really, really nice job of, of sort of diversifying shots. And I think for Missouri, they get in a situation where if they hit some early, particularly in early clock, if they're coming down and they're getting early clock threes, you start to see the three-point, you know, volume tick up a bit. You know, they kind of have a hot hand fallacy to their shot selection. But, you know, I think in general they've done a really nice job sort of 
moderating it. A couple of times when they've won games, it's been like under 40% of their shot falling, which is considerably less than it was. So I, I do think there's some, you know, truth to the fact they've, they've moderated that pulse, pulling from distance. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think there there are periods where they fall in love with the three-point shot. Um, and I also think that their coach, and one of the things that I, I like about Dennis is he he reminds his his players, and you could tell there's been several half times where they've kind of come out, and it's just like they're turning down open threes, and it's it's largely because they probably had a talk at halftime, and and Coach Gates is just like y- y'all are getting a little too three happy, like we you know we make our uh, our what is it the gold shots they uh, they have are you know shots at the rim, and they want to get to the rim, and that like that's. Yeah, primary staple of what they do is is you know cutting and attacking the rim, uh, and so I think a lot of times you have to remind players that this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get easier baskets. Uh, three pointers are one of those things that are great when they're going in, but they're also uh, highly volatile. Volatile, and uh, and because of that, you want to make your life as easy as possible. Uh, I think that's one of the things that really keyed, um, yeah, you know, keyed their their comebacks. You know, just speaking again of like the you know uh, what they did at Georgia and then coming back against LSU, as they they attack the rim, and then as they're attacking the rim, they're getting easier points. Then all of a sudden, those those kickout threes start dropping a little bit um, with more ease, and once those do, that's where you kind of get into that yeah. uh, that Missouri Avalanche period. Um, uh, yeah, we did get another question. I actually think yeah, that, and they did the same thing. It's Ole Miss too. They oh yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, basically focusing uh, at that and just hit a couple shots at the right time. Um, but another uh, you know question here from the from the chat. Um, basically, it says with a win, I think it's a cherry on top for an excellent year. One with a loss, is there a letdown, or are we still ahead of the curve with Dennis Gates? I mean, I think I think they're ahead of the curve. Uh, I don't think you. I don't think you could say they were getting a double buy in the first year of a coaching change is a letdown. I, I think it's it's recalibrating sort of expectations down the full area. Look at how many guys made the NCAA tournament who were first year coaches this year. You know, coming on the heels of what TJ Otzelberger did last year. So will this become more of the norm? I don't know, but I I think relative to what we know historically, and you know what we've looked at at least I've looked at data wise. Missouri's an outlier in terms of making the tournament year one, finishing almost 80 spots ahead of where they were a year ago in Kempom. They've never had a double buy in the SEC Turntel this year. This is their highest person. They haven't been an eight seed since 2012, I think. Or So by almost every you know metric that we would you know say, you know, a loose benchmark that's not walking statistically based, they're ahead of schedule. Now the question is, can you know what does year two look like? I remember you know we were sitting here five years ago with Conzo Martin, and everyone was sort of having the same sort of spasms of joy. You know we made the tournament, even if we don't make it, we're bringing Jonte Porter back. Isn't this great? And then year two, there was injury luck that stepped in and you know robbed that team of probably even at least having it in an IT shot. You know you don't know you know what's going to happen. I think a lot of people assume that, you know, this is a linear progression that's just going to keep getting better. 
we don't know. There's going to be some guys coming off this team. There are going to be guys that are freshmen that are coming in. We don't know what's going to happen with Kobe Brown or Isaiah Mosley if they're going to exercise a year here. But in this span of time, this is overachieving. Is it, you know, reasonable to apply it moving forward? I don't know. But I, I think if, you know, you came to me this time a year ago, almost this time a year ago, and said, Missouri's going to make a hire and he's going to make the tournament in year one, I would say that's absolutely ahead of schedule. I don't think you could frame it any other way. And I, if they lose, you know, I, in the moment it'll be disappointing. But I think overall, you look at what the feel of the fan base is right now, I think it's it's one of overwhelming sort of you know satisfaction with the job that Dennis done in year one. Yeah, I think regardless of uh, what happens in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, like I've I'm always a body of work versus one game. Uh, you know, I know like you know as an example, a lot of things. Yeah. We, we we joked earlier about the 2012 um, NCAA tournament. Uh, that was one of the most fun years I've ever had watching basketball. That team was was a blast to watch. It ended poorly. Awesome. I, awesome. But it doesn't take away how much I enjoyed the process of that season. Um, this year has has actually been pretty similar as far as my enjoyment of watching uh, Missouri play basketball. Uh, they you know very much like that team. They you know they're smaller. Uh, you know they play a lot of five out they uh you know they they pass the ball they share the ball they seem to really kind of be in it for each other uh and i think when you sort of you know step back from and and take like a bigger picture and you sort of look at what dennis gates has done and what all the other new hires have done like there's no way around it like he's been he's been terrific like it's been a it's been a great season now he's had some advantages in that he's basically able to import the culture that he built at cleveland state uh into the missouri locker room from day one by bringing in the four guys that he brought in the guys that sort of knew the expectation knew how he wanted to play uh you know and i think like i think chris jans brought in uh one of those guys i think didn't he bring one one of the guys mexico state yeah, one guy, um, you know, Todd Golden. Did he bring anybody? The guy and uh, Will, like, uh, yeah. But uh, conversely, then Ellis like, brought yeah, in this. Yeah, it's an entire backboard. What three guys? Three three guys from Murray State. Yep. So yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think that's something that 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 helped Dennis. Uh, it clearly didn't help Matt McMahon. Um, but. But one of the things that I think, you know, it, it helps you do is that you impart your culture quickly. You build a, the kind of environment where, you know, guys are more accountable, but they're accountable for each other. Uh, and hopefully that kind of carries over. Now, you know, like, as we've seen, this is a very sort of fickle business. Um, you know, like, there are 14 other teams that are trying to win. Uh, Missouri is at a resource deficit with Kentucky, probably Tennessee and Arkansas, uh, or definitely Tennessee and Arkansas, uh, and probably, what, maybe two, three other schools. Like, they're middle-ish of the pack. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Like, I, I, I do think that, um, yeah, and then you take into the fact that Ole Miss is hiring Chris Beard. Um, 
I'm you know, I'm not a huge fan yeah. of hiring that. League didn't get any easier today. <laughs> right. He's like whatever you want to say about like his his offseason that was clearly there's a lot there and there's a lot that Ole Miss is gonna have to deal with and answer for uh and making a decision to hire him. He's a fantastic basketball coach and he he's won everywhere he goes. Uh and he's won big. Like he had Texas Tech in the national title game. So uh I think I think that's gonna make Ole Miss competitive. We'll see if he can import that into a, like a different league as far as being able to maybe counteract some of the uh potential negative recruiting that's gonna happen with him. Uh like it's, it's gonna be fascinating to watch regardless, but you know, like there are there are fourteen really good basketball coaches in the SEC. Uh, there are fourteen programs that are trying to win, and not everybody can win. And I like I think this is something that like I always enjoy the you Gary Parish, Matt Norlanders, I am college basketball podcast. And one of the things that like Gary Parish was kind of saying a couple of years ago about like the Big Twelve after somebody had gotten fired, and they were just like, I I can't like you can't like fire this guy. Like somebody's got to lose games. Like somebody is going to lose games. Steve uh, Prome. Yeah, it was probably after Prome. Um, you know, but you but you look at how good all the coaches are. You look at all the moves that yeah, these coaches have made to be competitive. Uh, and you like at this point, what you're hoping is that like like Dennis Gates is more than just what he's shown you this year he's also a guy who can get better talent in and then win at us at the same or higher level with that talent uh do i think that he can uh yeah sure i mean anything's possible um but i just like the sec is an incredibly competitive league i i like what i've seen from dennis so far uh i i don't think there's any way possible that you could be unhappy with the way the season has gone um and uh and yeah, I mean it's twenty four wins, nine losses. Like that's earned him a pay raise too. Got him, got him that pay raise. Which <laughs> yeah, up the four. Which is we, I think I said last week that's that. That's going to be the median in this league now. Um, and I think that's going to look better as the TV money from the next SEC deal comes in. I, I think that that's going to look more affordable time. But if he keeps winning, you're probably going to have to give him another raise somewhere in there. Um. But Missouri clearly decided that it wasn't going to mess around here. It wasn't going to, you know, see if it really took a Georgetown or, you know, somebody else coming in to to stir this. This, you know, this was a proactive move on the administration. You know, we, you know, harped on this administration and the institution for, you know, not always stepping forward. They've done it this time. You know, I hope the staff budgets continue to grow progressively with Dennis's salary too, but they they took care of a guy that they think is going to you know be the long term solution here. So, it's it'll be fascinating to see it play out. But in the near term, there's absolutely success. I don't think you can frame it any other way. And you know, unless you know you're just a bigger uh, a bigger crank than I am. <laughs> yeah, uh, we are getting recruiting questions. Um, I know that like this is always going to be popular when we when we do a live show as talking about recruiting. Um, yeah, one of the questions about Jamarian Sharp, I, I mean, 
He's got to go in the portal first, man. Yeah, like let's. I I would really just like to see uh like let's just enjoy the NCAA tournament um or at least Missouri's experience the NCAA tournament however long it may be um and then and then like because I don't really think the staff is going to be worried about having kids on campus and uh and stuff like that until until their season is done uh hopefully that's not for another couple weeks um I you know pretty good scenario is is still being you know done and wrapped up by like you know saturday afternoon <laughs> um you know but if if they if they do in their first round game they likely get arizona uh a team who is really good but you know i think you could probably beat them um and so that would i mean a sweet 16 i think is not likely uh, but possible. And I, you know, I think if you want to talk about like a great recruiting pitch, um, how about coming off a, a sweet 16 appearance, your first season as a head coach, uh, having a full arena, uh, all season long and, uh, and finishing ranked in the top 25. Like that's like, this is what we did with, with, you know, Cleveland state transfers and, uh, stuff like that. Like, you know, you're a, you're a five-star prospect. What do you, what do you, like, what do you think we can do with you? Yeah. I think the, you know, they've, they've made some reported contact with a handful, you know, graduate transfers, uh, last week, grad transfers could go into the portal today. Oh boy. They were piling out the door into the transfer portal today. It was the first day that underclassmen could go. Um, you know, some SEC staffs already meeting with some of these guys. Missouri's got to prepare for the NCAA tournament. You know, I, I think, you know, the recruiting questions for me and what this roster construction really become pressing, you know, once the season's done. They've got to get back and have exit meetings. You know, there may be some guys who suspect they might be going or want to go, but they've got to have those exit meetings and sort of talk that through. You know, there may be other guys who are on the fence. You know, you know, we still have to, you know, get a sense for what Kobe and Isaiah Mosley might do. And coming back, I, I think this team is going to have to figure out what its needs are. I, not that they don't, you know, coaches, I think, have a good sense for what it is. You know, I, you know, I think the sense is they're probably going to have two to three slots that they might play because that's what usually happens in the spring. The question is where those are and what they're going to have to try and fill with. You know, um, I don't like trying to push guys out the door or speculate who's going to go. You know, that's... You know, you know, we'll know when we know or when you know we get a better sense for how those exit meetings are. But, you know, I'm sure people are going to start marking names in the portal and putting them on wish lists because that's just what happens. But, you know, I, I think we got to get to the end of the season to really have a sense for where the needs are and what sort of they're targeting. But for right now, if the season ended today and nobody left, they'd be completely filled up. So they're at they're at the limit. If they're going to do anything, you know, people have to go. But we just don't know who that is yet, or you know who's considering it. Yeah, and I think like a very, very big key is figuring out what's going to happen. Um, you know, when you talk about Kobe Brown, you know, like the latest uh, who was it? Uh, you know, Gavoni had Kobe Brown as like one of the late second round picks. Um, I think, yeah, he's clocking in at a, like between fifty and sixty five on draft boards. Yeah, Gavoni had him. Yeah. Eight that's going to be a decision for Kobe and, and he's going to have to decide if he wants to take that next step, try to, you know, be an NBA player 
or come back and you know probably make you know some decent nil money at at, at mizzou and and play a fifth year um and you know and then and then isaiah mosley uh you know we had heard that you know isaiah absolutely loves dennis gates he's just had a lot going on uh in his personal life and trying to get that sorted out obviously uh it hasn't worked out where he's been on the floor as much as we want him to um you know, so is that something where he kind of wants to come back for, you know, for one more year and, and sort of, you know, be the guy? Uh, and so, like, those two players are, uh, you know, are such a, like, a central focus of what Missouri wants to do offensively um, that if they come back, that completely changes what you want to do uh, in the off season and, and like the kinds of players that you're going to be looking at. I think they still are probably going to yeah. want, or not probably, they, they're still going to want a big, um, and they'll figure out how to make room to, to get somebody with some yeah. size. Uh, you know, but if, if Mosley comes back, like you don't necessarily need, uh, like a combo guard. Like I really th- kind of think, uh, the Townsend transfer, uh, Timberlake, um, you know, would be like a really good fit because he's more of, he played a lot of point guard. Um, but is a yeah. uh, is a combo guard and a guy who can handle the ball, um, and I, I think Mosley, if he comes back, like then you don't need that guy. So yeah, like there's there's too much in in the air right now to sort of figure out, um, you know, like where they're gonna go. But I, I you have to feel like the staff kind of knows. Um, yeah, yeah, and on twenty four recruiting, who they're gonna be. Oh yeah, in the twenty four recruiting class. Yeah, and yeah, the library doesn't start until next month. Um, Missouri's you know been really active. I think they've gotten nine, ten, or eleven guys on campus. You know, during you know if you want to count from the start of practice last fall to today, they've also gotten a little bit of a jump on twenty fives. You know, the question that I think you're going to see moving into the spring is already twenty twenty four is going to want to commit early. Um, the reality is now for a lot of high school kids, you know, April and May are portal time. You know, coaches are going to, you know, be there and body, you know, maybe some of the live periods. But the focus is going to be on going and getting vets out of the portal. And if you've got a spot, you know, that in the spot that you like, do you feel, you know, the need to pull the trigger and commit? Because if you wait too long, it might evaporate. And if you get into the situation in the spring, coaches aren't going to be looking for a lot of late 2024 kids this time next year. They're going to be looking at portal guys. So the timeline for 24s may be sped up a little bit. We'll see if that results in any kind of earlier commitments, but we've got to get to the live period and get out of you know the high school season for that. So this is all a way of us saying we got to wait for the regular season to end. we got to wait for the postseason to come to an end here and really let Missouri get a sense for what it needs and what it wants to do. Um, but the recruiting questions, I assume, are, are, are never going to stop. They're always going to they're going to continue to come in waves. Yeah, and we'll have a an entire off season to spend a lot of time talking about it. Um. So you and I have been trying to figure out the. But for now, I, we still get basketball. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we've been online since a. About, well, I've been online since seven thirty, trying to figure this out. It's now nine thirty-eight, so uh, I love everybody, and I'm thankful that we've had this many people stick around. Um, I 
think we're going to thank you everybody for <laughs> your healing patience. Right, but we'll be better. It, it was a learning experience. I, I think I learned a lot. We, I understand, uh, like, you know, latency and, and microphone stuff now, and we're, we're probably going to be able to figure out how to get online a little faster next time. Um, so, uh, if you enjoyed this at all, uh, you know, please make sure that you subscribe. Um, having more subscribers, having likes in the video is definitely going to help us out. It's going to help us grow the channel. Uh, if we grow the channel, we can do more things like this. Uh, and not just me and Matt hopping on here, uh, but also like we might actually see, um, you know, Data Mizzou, Matt Watkins, uh, live and in person at some point. Uh, and really like a whole host of folks at, at Rockham Nation. I think, you know, Dan Keegan is, uh, is one of our newer writers and he's a guy who's going to be bringing some stuff. Nate and BK, uh, once we get them set up and on this live stuff, we're going to have them as well. Uh, I'm really excited about what this YouTube, uh, side of, you know, the media, uh, can kind of do for us and what, um, what we can do. It's really exciting. Uh, Levi's working on, uh, some graphics packages that maybe we need to reduce in size, uh, to kind of make sure that they work right. Um, but they're going to look great. And, uh, I think it's, it's going to be a lot better than just, you know, like me and, uh, and Matt and black boxes <laughs> your maybe, here. maybe we should reduce the size of of us and like we're just going to be like here and then the logos are bigger but whatever we're going to try to make it look nicer uh but we appreciate everybody having on uh if if we feel like maybe uh maybe there's a a, a live later this week that can uh be talking about a mizzou ncaa tournament victory who knows um until then thanks everybody for tuning in like and subscribe uh, and we will be back soon. Thanks. <laughs>